All right, we're going to try to answer from Scripture uh, the following four questions concerning the Christian's evangelistic responsibility. One, what is evangelism? Two, what is the evangelistic message? Three, what's the motive for evangelizing? And four, by what means and methods should evangelism be practiced? So, let's look at uh, what is evangelism. You know, it would be natural to assume that we are all perfectly unanimous as to what evangelism is. But uh, probably for the past hundred years, uh, there's been a lot of confusion about uh, or a lack of agreement about what evangelism is. Uh, And the root of the confusion, Packer says, can be stated in a sentence. And this is the sentence. It is our widespread and persistent habit of defining evangelism in terms not of a message delivered, but of an effect produced in the hearers. To illustrate that, uh, let's look at this famous definition of evangelism, which uh, in England, the the, uh, Anglican Church, the Archbishop's Committee gave in its report on the evangelistic work of the church in 1918. It reads, to evangelize is to so present Christ Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that men shall come to put their trust in God through him, to accept him as their savior and to serve him as their king in the fellowship of the church. Now, in many ways, you know, this is really an excellent definition. Uh, To start with, it makes the point that evangelism means declaring a specific message. According to this definition, it's really not evangelism merely to teach general truths about God's existence or the moral law. But evangelism means to present Christ Jesus, uh, the divine son who became man at a particular point in world history in order to save a ruined race. Nor, according to this definition, is it evangelism merely to present the teaching and the example of Jesus or even the truth about his saving work. Evangelism means to present Christ Jesus himself the living Savior, and the reigning Lord. In other words, Christ is not just a historical figure. He's alive today and reigning. Nor again is it evangelism, according to this definition, merely to set forth the living Jesus as helper and friend without reference to his saving work on the cross. Evangelism means to present Jesus as Christ. And you know that that word, the Old Testament, Messiah. Christ Messiah, the anointed servant of God, fulfilling the task of his appointed office as priest and king. Or as 1 Timothy 2.5 says, the man, Christ Jesus, is to be presented as one mediator between God and man. Who suffered for our sins in order to bring us to God, as Peter says it in 1 Peter 
the one through whom and through whom alone persons may come to put their trust in God. According to his own claim, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So he is proclaimed as the Savior, the one who came into the world to save sinners. Uh, and redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come, as he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So he's proclaimed a Savior, but also he is proclaimed as King. Because to this end Christ died and lived again, according to Romans 14, 9, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. There is no evangelism where this specific message is not declared. So you see, it it deals with not only Christ's work on the cross, but the fact that he rose from the dead and reigns as Lord and King. He's Savior and King. Again, this definition makes the point that evangelism means declaring a specific message, message with a specific application. It's not evangelism, according to this definition, to present Christ Jesus as a subject of detached, critical, or comparative study. You know, just study the facts about about, uh, Jesus. Evangelism, according to this definition, means presenting Christ Jesus and his work in relationship to the needs of fallen men and women. So, men and women who are without God as a father and under the wrath of God as a judge. That's the, see, that's the specific, specific application there of the gospel. It relates to people who are without Christ and lost and under God's wrath. It relates to their specific spiritual need. Evangelism means presenting Christ Jesus to them as their only hope in this world and the next. So it means exhorting sinners to accept Christ Jesus as their Savior, recognizing that uh, in the final sense, they are lost without Him. It also means summoning sinners to receive Jesus Christ as all that He is, meaning Lord as well as Savior. And therefore, to serve him as their king in the fellowship of the church, as the definition says there. The company of those who worship him, witness to him, and work for him here on earth. In other words, evangelism is the issuing of a call to turn as well as to trust. Uh, You can encourage people to trust in Christ, but it also means they have to turn away from their sin. And turn toward God as the King and Lord over their lives. So it's an invitation to, or a command actually, to repent of sin. And oftentimes, uh, this is where I think evangelism can fall short. And often does, I think, in terms, in terms of uh, 
sharing our sharing the message of the gospel is that we present the facts, the truth of the gospel, but we're hesitant to, to drive it home in a specific application to call people to repentance and faith. So evangelism is more than just communicating a message, but it's applying that. It's, it's asking for a response to that message. And the definition, you know, establishes all those vital points well. But on one fundamental matter, it goes astray. And you probably saw it when we read it. Had it begun this way, to evangelize is to present Christ Jesus to sinful men in order that through the power of the Holy Spirit, they may come. There'd be no fault with the definition at all if he worded it that way. What it does say, though, is to evangelize is so to present Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit that men shall come. That is, they will come. And this is to define evangelism in terms of an effect achieved in the, in the lives of the, of, of the hearers. And amounts to saying that the essence of evangelism is producing converts. And that's a serious mistake. Evangelism is man's work, but the giving of faith and repentance is God's work. So our success in evangelism does not depend upon the making of converts. Evangelism... To say that we're not evangelized if we don't have converts is, is false. It cannot be whether or not evangelism, or whether, whether we have conversions or not, to determine whether we've evangelized. If we've given the message in all of its detail about Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection and his reigning in heaven and the wrath of God to come, and you call people to respond to that in repentance and faith. You've evangelized, regardless of the response. That's up to God. There have been missionaries, you know, uh, to Muslims, who have, who have witnessed for years and not seen a single convert. Does that mean they weren't evangelizing? No. No. The results of proclaiming depends not on the wishes and intentions of the one proclaiming it, but on the will of God. Now, that doesn't mean we should be indifferent to whether they come to Christ or not. You know, we should, uh, we should seek converts. We should want, want that to happen. That's why we're sharing the gospel in the first place. And if we're not seeing fruit... It's perfectly legitimate to seek God about that and find out why that's not the case. Uh, sometimes we, we, we have to look at our own attitude, maybe, you know, about the way we, way we go about it. Uh, maybe, you know, our approach turns people off. Uh, there could be a number of reasons why that's, uh, why we're not seeing fruit. But that doesn't mean we ought to define evangelism in terms of achieved results. How then should evangelism be defined? Well, according to the New Testament, evangelism is just proclaiming 
the gospel. That's what evangelism is. Proclaiming the gospel, the evangel, the good news. It's a work of communication in which Christians make themselves mouthpieces for God's message to sinners. And anyone who faithfully delivers that message under whatever circumstances, whether it's a large meeting, a small meeting, a home Bible study, a one-on-one over coffee, uh, that's evangelism. The divine message finds its climax in a plea from the Creator Himself to a rebel world to turn to Him and to trust Him. And delivering it involves summoning people to to conversion, summoning them to respond. So, in this sense, If we're not seeking to bring about conversions, we're not evangelizing. If we're just sharing the message and then stop without making the specific application, we're only just giving information. We're not evangelizing. Evangelism means summoning people to make a response, to turn. But to tell whether one is evangelizing is not to ask whether you had conversions. It's to ask whether you have faithfully made known the message. And the message includes that call to repentance and faith. I want to have a, I have another sheet for you. For a complete picture of what the New Testament means by evangelism, we need to look at the Apostle Paul's account of the nature of his own evangelistic ministry. And there are three points uh, to look at. We probably won't. We're probably covering two today. That's all I have on the sheet. <laughs> um, so the first one is that Paul evangelized as the commissioned representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at some verses here. The commissioned representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1, uh, excuse me, chapter 4, 
verse 1. He says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. He saw himself as Christ's steward. And uh, chapter 9, 1 Corinthians. Verses 16 and 17. For if I preach the gospel... That gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. Paul saw himself as a, in a sense, a bond slave raised to a position of high trust. As a steward, like a steward of a household in the New Testament. Stuart really had had responsibility for the whole household in its running of that household. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, that he had been approved of God to be entrusted with the gospel. This uh, figure of stewardship highlights Paul's responsibility to evangelize. As a steward, he had a responsibility to evangelize. B, uh, Paul also saw himself as Christ's herald. Second uh, Timothy chapter... 1 verse 11 Well, I'm going to start at verse 8 actually because it's all one one long sentence here. <laughs> Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. I was appointed a preacher. And the noun he uses there is, is the Greek word kerux, which means a herald. A herald, a person who makes public announcements on another's behalf. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23... Verse 22 says, uh, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly 
to Gentiles. When he says, and we preach Christ crucified, he's using the verb there, keruso. Actually, it would be kerusomai, we, first person plural, kerusomai, we preach Christ crucified. That's the verb. The noun is kerux, a herald. But here, he notes the herald's appointed activity of telling abroad what has been, what he was told to make known. He's proclaiming the message that he's been told to proclaim. In 1 Corinthians 1, 20, um, 21, he says, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. There, the noun he uses is kerygma. Notice the similarities between these words. That means not the activity of announcing, but the thing announced itself, the message itself. Paul, in his own estimation, was simply Christ's herald. His master had given him a message to proclaim. His whole business, therefore, was to deliver that message with exact and studious faithfulness, adding nothing, altering nothing, and omitting nothing. So the figure of a herald highlights the authenticity of Paul's message. Now, we get, uh, sometimes we, this word preach, kind of uh, uh, is a word that scares us. (laughs) Because we say, well, I'm not a preacher. Well, it can simply be proclaim. I proclaim the message. I'm telling it. That's all we're talking about here. It doesn't mean you have to be a bona fide official preacher to evangelize. It's proclaiming the message. So, as, uh, in fact, my Greek class at OCA this week just got this word, keruso, as one of their vocabulary words. And it means, I proclaim, or I preach. So it could be, you know, proclaim is just as valid a word as preach here. It means telling it. Okay. I think there's an important aspect to that word proclaim. I don't know how it translates into specifics in the Greek, how we use colloquially. But in the proclamation of the truth, you're not saying, let me proffer something to you that we can debate about whether it's true or not. Right. We're not setting forth a proposition that... Um, He's open for you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. we're declaring something that's been made plain in the resurrection of Christ. It's yeah. been vindicated. We're letting you know about it. It's the herald. Yeah. Right, the herald, right, exactly. Yeah. Now, now that doesn't mean that, you know, when we think about, think about evangelism, um, oftentimes... 
you know, as you see it, as you see it in the book of Acts, you know, Peter stands up to preach, and 2,000 people come to the Lord, 3,000, you know. Um, most of the time, it doesn't happen that way. <laughs> Evangelism can be meeting with your non-Christian friend over a period of years of talking about this stuff that, that goes on. That doesn't mean we're not proclaiming it. We're still proclaiming it and presenting it as the facts. You know, these are the spiritual facts of life, you might say. There. So um, uh, we have to kind of broaden the view of what we mean by, by evangelism and how long it takes. It depends. depends on the person. I met with a man here uh, a couple years ago for probably over a year every week at his house sitting together and he was he he wanted to know he was he was searching but he didn't he hadn't grown up in the church the guy was in his 80s already never was unchurched Uh, and his wife's dying wish was that he come to the lord and so he's but he he was very skeptical anyway it was a period of time just sitting together week after week answering his questions, talking about Scripture, opening the Scripture up to him. First thing we had to do is to, is to convince him the fact that Scripture is the Word of God. You know, I mean, you, you have to start where people are. But what I'm saying is it takes time with some people. It takes a lot of time. And you have to begin where the person is themselves. Oftentimes, our, the problem with evangelism is, is we go up to somebody and we start... Put we back up our dump truck and <laughs> unload, you know. <laughs> and they're not ready. For, they're not anywhere near that point, you know. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know again? Yeah, yeah. It's so. Uh, it's sensitivity to where people are, you know, uh, and uh, what their questions are. Yeah, that's why Paul. You know, he says. Uh, uh, you know, to the Jews, I, came, I became a Jew to win the Jews. To the Greeks, I became a Greek. To, to this person, that I became what I needed to. And in other words, what he's saying is, he didn't change the message, but he changed his... He, 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 he wanted to start where people are. A Greek is a... Their issues are totally different than the Jew was. Jewish was. And we have to recognize that, and people were sharing with as well. His intention was the same. So that my main, by all possible means, save some... So uh, he was he was seeking converse, but he was doing it wisely. Any other questions so far? Okay. Maybe could you address the difference between Paul as a herald of the gospel and the lay Christian as a herald of the gospel? Uh, well, I'm not sure. I mean, I know, there are dis- I know there are disagreements on this. In fact, Paul was telling me last week about the class he's taking where there's a person who's presenting an argument that, uh, what is it, that only ordained or the, uh, those who are officers? Or- well, what he was arguing is that, um, and actually I'll, I'll send you the link to his argument, but, that um, the Of God, appointed by God to be yeah. terrible in the verses we read, actually. 
Right, right. And so the question is, is, is every Christian obligated in the very same way, individual Christians? Yeah. I think the church is obligated. Certainly ordained offices are obligated. <clears throat> but are individual Christians obligated in the same way to, to like, be evangelists, right? Uh-huh. Now, does, does that, I think part of what he was also talking about is the, the individual Christian can certainly participate and do evangelism. But is that like part of their calling? Oh. To like give a body and you know, like your yeah. finger isn't your eyeball, right? Maybe yeah. That kind of idea. Yeah. So that, anyway, that's what he was arguing. Um, that it's an exchange. There was a there was a sort of a counterpoint made to that, uh, and then there was a final sort of reply. So there's actually three articles um, that go back and forth on this issue. Yeah. I think it's pretty helpful to think through like. What is the what is the individual Christian's obligation in terms of heralding the gospel, and what is what is of course the, the church and the ordained uh, officers? Yeah, churches, yeah. I, I think uh, certainly they're not in the same way as you say in the same way, but every Christian is a witness. Yeah. A living Pardon? And a living epistle. Right, in a living epistle. That's right. That's right. So, um, as we have opportunity, we share we share the gospel. Now, yeah, we're not, you know, um, in in uh, in Acts, um, you have you have the early disciples, um, Andrew, bringing his brother. You have. Uh, um, you have Philip uh, going out. Now you might say, "Well, Philip was a deacon." Well, yeah, but the the role of a deacon is is doesn't specify evangelism. Um, so I, I would say, uh, no, we're, we're, we don't have we don't have an office to evangelize, you know. But we do. But we are called to be a witness. Him. And that's why God has us living in different places with different neighbors and working in different places because we're, we're, we're the good seed out there in a sense uh, or we're spreading the good seed and other people are watering it. It's a, it's a process, but we're all involved in it, in the process. You may have, uh, you, you, you may have shared your faith with a person uh, maybe from, from your past and now you've moved away, but you've heard some years later that that person came to the Lord. Well, you had a part in that. So you sowed the seed, somebody else watered and then God gave the increase. Uh, all of that's part of the evangelistic process and that's part of, again, the church's role in, evan- in evangelism. Um, so does that, you probably bring up a good point with that passage. Uh, is it possible that I could be part of an evangelism process, but the message I gave was not technically the evangelical message because it was an incomplete message. I only had this opportunity to give this bit of the evangelical message, the gospel. I, maybe I made somebody aware of their sin somehow by something I said, but I didn't get to the point of saying, by the way, you should believe in Christ for salvation. Somebody else comes in and does that. Yeah. Right. So, so while we can, we can 
give the entire message, possibly if it opens that door, but can also record just pieces of that message as the body. As the body. Yeah, as the body, right. 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 Yep. Yeah, and as Lisa said, you know, even even the way we live, we're we're living epistle. We're we're uh, people are always, you know, if they're if they know you're a Christian, you're being they're watching you and seeing how you how you live, and oftentimes that brings up questions. You know, Peter said, always be willing to give a reason for the people ask you for the hope that you have. Well, that's an opportunity just to to share the gospel. So, yeah, evangelism. Uh, well, sometimes we do just give parts of it. But over the long haul, you know, it's the church that is working to evangelize. Yeah, that kind of relates to your comment a couple weeks ago where you said the unbeliever has two problems. That's right. Yeah, one of them know any Christians? And they do know believers. He does. He does know. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That could be a problem. But I think, you know, the, the important thing is that uh, um, we know what evangelism is and we know, and we, we are seeking, we are seeking converts. You know, it's, in other words, it's, it's, it's not enough just to say, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to be an inviter. I'm going to invite people to church. And that's okay to do that. But, um, and that might be a part of the evangelism process. Yeah, better to do that than nothing. That's right. Better to do that than nothing. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I remember uh, um, D.L. Moody was criticized for the way that they were doing evangelism. And uh, you know, D.L. Moody was a, in in some ways, an evangelistic type preacher. Um, and he and uh, he was he was criticized about his method of evangelism. He, he says, "Yeah, he says, uh, I know it's not the probably not the best method to evangelism, but he says I like the way we're doing it than the way you're not doing it." <laughs> so he was doing something anyway, right? <laughs> All right, uh, C, Paul considered himself Christ's ambassador. Now, uh, what is an ambassador? You think about in our day, what is an ambassador? What's an ambassador's role? Reconciliation. You know, being, being an arbiter is the wrong word in this case, uh, but... But conveying a message between two parties, in this case, it would be God and the sinner. Well, okay, what about in our society? What's Rep- it? Like representing someone else. Like, if you, uh, let's say, an ambassador in another nation is representing the government of the United States. Okay. Or maybe more particularly the president of the United States. Right. As sort of the chief of. Uh, what you know, our, our uh, what's the word? Top man, if you will, in terms of foreign policy. So representing the, 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 yeah, the, the government as a diplomat, uh, someone else. That's right. Our our representative to to Great Britain is 
he is representing the President of the United States. He speaks for the President in that, in that country and communicates the mind of the President. That's, that's a, he's an authorized representative of a ruler, you might say, in that sense. He doesn't speak in his own name, but on behalf of someone else, the half of the ruler. His whole duty and responsibility is to interpret that ruler's mind and message. And Paul uses this figure twice, both times in connection with his evangelistic work. In Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, he says, uh, and also for me, he's, talking, he's speaking about prayer here in Ephesians 6, and he says, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So, Paul was in a Roman prison when he wrote this epistle to the Ephesians. And he's asking them to pray for him that he would be bold in proclaiming the mystery of the gospel for which he is an ambassador. In 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20, he says, that is, Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And this is what you're referring to, David, here, reconciliation, that the message of reconciliation in terms of God seeking to reconcile the sinner to himself. And we, we are bringing that message, that message of reconciliation as an ambassador. Does Hebrews 13, 13 refer to um, the going out to bring that message? Says, and I want to provide just a little bit of context here, so I'll start a few verses early. Uh, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. So there's reconciliation going on there. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we see the city that is to come. Uh, and actually, verse 15 gets into, I think, some of the evangelical aspect. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. I, 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 I'm not sure that this is an evan- a, a statement about evangelism, evangelism uh, but I, I think it could speak to it. That, that there's, a, there's an actual going out, that there's an activity of, of taking the message into the world, not just staying inside the camp, not just simply mm-hmm. um, navel-gazing, preaching to the choir. Yeah, I think you could make an application to that, uh, that for that. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think it's, uh, you know, it's part, it's kind of a part of our uh, nature to want to be comfortable. <laughs> you know, we don't like to get outside of our comfort zone. 
And so we have a tendency to stay around people who believe like us and think like us and look like us, you know. I mean, it's just a tendency to do that. And we have to, we have to kind of fight against that. Be careful of that tendency that we don't get into a situation where, uh, you know, the, 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 the other side of the, the other side of the problem, the two problems that the non-Christian has, the first one was he doesn't know any Christians. And so the other side of that is we don't know any non-Christians. So, you know, how can we be an effective witness if we don't know any non-Christians? Uh, so, yeah, getting outside the, outside the holy huddle, you might say, uh, to be around other people, be around people, to open up conversations, uh, friendships. You know, it's, it's really about loving your neighbor as yourself. You know, it's, that's one of the uh, fulfilling the law, in a sense, loving our neighbor as ourself. Uh, of of um, responding to them, developing friendships, uh, seeing what their needs are and how we can f- help with that, and of course that involves their spiritual needs as well. So it's a it's an ongoing challenge, you know, for us to fight that temptation to stay within the the holy huddle. So, Paul called himself an ambassador because he knew that it was Christ's message to the world that he was proclaiming. And the figure of ambassadorship highlights the authority that Paul had as representing his Lord. I think we'll stop there. It looks like our time, time is up.